So let's open up our Bibles to Matthew chapter number six. We're going to be continuing through the Sermon on the Mount today. Continuing through the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter number six. And with it being Grandparents Day, one of the one of the favorite things that I love doing with my grandparents or, or any senior um, or, or any senior really is eating with them. Our seniors and my grand my grandparents and our seniors they can cook and. Uh, and, and for a lot of us younger folks, that's a trait that we didn't quite inherit very well, did we? Some of us, yes. A lot of us, like, no, nah, I didn't inherit that one. And so uh, don't you love talking to, uh, to, to your parents or to your grandparents and you ask, how did you make that? And they say, well, it's a little bit of this and a little bit of that. And you put it in there and, and you put it in there. Well, how, what, what, how much? What temperature? I don't know. Just do it. Just put it in there. Um, and so, so that intuition that our parents and that our grandparents had um, was, uh, uh, is something to be envied. But I think in introducing today's sermon, something has kind of gone awry in Western society's relationship to food. In fact, I think I'm going to say actually kind of a Baptist bad word today. When it comes to uh, food, and that Baptist bad word is a, is a, is a little four-letter word. It starts with the letter F, but it's not, uh, it's not any bad word uh, that, that you're going to hear in society. Um, but, you, but it's a word that, uh, uh, that even still we don't like to talk about, and that's the word fast. The word fast. And I'm not talking about the going fast. I'm talking about the practice of fasting. So, uh, and so especially for uh, us Baptists, we like to eat. Uh, you, by the way, you can't uh, say meeting without eating anyway. And so uh, we like to eat and we like to, uh, to, to gather around the table. And so, uh, as I said, something's kind of gone awry. It's, gone, it's, it's kind of uh, moved out uh, from what it's originally intended to be. Um, our relationship to food has kind of has moved away um, from some from from what's in, from what is intended to be. Excuse me. Uh, if we listen to media, by the way, we hear two contrary messages regarding food. On the one hand, uh, marketers and advertisers they invite they invite us to really incessant gluttony. Um, uh, chow down on the chewiest cheeseburger, on the juiciest cheeseburger. And by the way, I mean, I, I would like to say amen to that because I love a good cheeseburger. Anyone, anyone here like the same? Yeah, good cheeseburger is incredible. Uh, put some bacon on it and, uh, and, and no vegetables, by the way. Vegetables on a burger is a, is a, is a, uh, an atrocity. Uh, no vegetables, only meat on a burger. It's just personal opinion. Anyway, uh, so, uh, scarf down some of the crispiest or the saltiest french fries. Guzzle down the best soda uh, and just consume, consume, consume. And then others are going to call for refinement in how we eat. Satisfy your palate with sauces and spices. Uh, dine on uh, dainty delicacies. Uh, and then even still others want to ban animal fats, uh, animal fats altogether uh, that are ladled into tacos and pizza and ice cream and steaks. Making you hungry, aren't I? By the way, Herman Hoka walked in this morning with, with, with one of the uh, most incredible shirts. It's covered with sub sandwiches. And so uh, I'm like, Herman, that is a, uh, uh, that is a, a very timely shirt to wear today since I'm going to be talking about all this. And so, but, but, but meanwhile, we, get, we also get messages about low carb, low fat, and then we can reverse the damage uh, by the aforementioned cheeseburgers. 
And, um, and, so, and then medical analysis, he kind of weighs the pros and cons of all the diet wars, and, and all the while, uh, the honest blessings of broccoli are neglected. <laughs> I stepped on your toes, some of y'all, didn't I? And I think what it comes down to is we ask this question to fast or to feast. To feast or to fast. That's the title of the message today. To feast or to fast. You know, especially in our culture, we're the victims of our own success. We are the victims of our own success. And especially during the last century, we've learned to, we've learned how to produce a bountiful food supply. Um, farming and food production are a science that is incredible to hear about. I've talked with Austin and, and some of the, some of the other farmers on how much goes into that that I didn't realize. It's not simply just putting a seed in the ground for our farmers. It's, uh, there's an incredible science that goes into that. Um, bachelor, uh, bachelor's degrees and graduate, uh, graduate studies go into learning simply about farming. And so, and so in, in our democratic nations, for the most part, salvation is not something that looms. It, it, it does happen. Excuse me, not salvation, starvation. Starvation is not something that happens often. We all produce the food that we want, or we can produce all the food that we want and, and more. And in fact, we hardly, uh, I think sometimes we struggle in how to manage the abundance. But still, at its root, food is a rather simple thing. We should eat to live. But therein lies some of the problem. Because while we should eat to live, we need to be careful about living to eat. While we should eat to live, we need to be careful about living to eat. Let's look at what Jesus says in the scripture. I'm not, I'm going out of order here in the, in the, uh, in the, in the, in the, the PowerPoint. Um, by the way, we've got a new guy running the PowerPoint today and he's being baptized by fire today. Um, but uh, let's read this really quick. Gen- uh, Matthew chapter 6, verses 16 to 18, just so we can see what, what Billy's talking about here. Jesus says, when you fast, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces that their fasting may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face, that your fasting may not be seen by others, but by your Father who is in secret. And your father who sees in secret will reward you. Okay, so we're talking, there's, there's the bad four-letter word, fasting. And that's something that uh, as Christians we don't practice very often. And for many, food has become an idol. For so many, food has become an idol. Our, our mastery, uh, the, the way God has called us to master our bodies is imperfect. Well, our bodies don't like to do what we ask them to do. Just ask Paul in Romans chapter 7. The things I don't want to do, I do. The things that I want to do, I don't do. Uh, and so that our bodies don't do what we ask. We, we crash into people and we drop dishes sometimes and we don't do exactly what our mind is and, and the scripture has called us to do. And if we and if we look closely, we can see that the root problem of not being able to master our bodies, even our appetites, is that of idolatry. It's been said that the human heart, in fact, is a factory of idols. The human heart is a factory 
of idols. And when we lose contact with the Lord, we put other things into his place. We can, and we can take, by the way, anything that was originally intended to be good and make it into an idol. It's, it doesn't necessarily mean we originally take something that was bad and make it into an idol. We can take something that was originally intended as good and make it into an idol. When God placed Adam and Eve into the Garden of Eden, what did he tell What was one of the first commandments he told them to do? Eat. 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 You, you can eat of anything in this garden except one thing. Eat. And food, and food is no exception to turn it into an idol. To be turned into one. And uh, we often turn to it for benefits that we should be turning to God for. We turn to food for, first thing, we turn, sometimes we turn to food, uh, we turn to food and we eat to find peace. We eat to medicate ourselves. We eat to overcome feelings of anger. You may eat to overcome feelings of depression. You may eat to overcome feelings of loneliness. We eat when we need, we, sometimes we eat when we need comfort. And when we can't, when we can't, or when we just refuse to find the proper comfort, we eat that comfort food. So we eat to find peace. Another thing that we do is we could look at the abundance of food as a token of strength or a token of wealth or prosperity or self-sufficiency. It's easy to be able to grow your garden and look at it and say, look at all that I have done and be filled with pride. And not the pride that says, look at what all God has been able has grown for me. But look at the pride and says, look, I tilled this garden. I planted these seeds. These things grew because I watered them. Look at all that I have done. Please remember that not one seed grows without God growing it. There is not one crop that grows without God providing the growth. And so if we're not careful, we can turn that into an idol. So we eat to find peace or we look at it as a token of strength or prosperity or self-sufficiency. And then lastly, food can become the source of joy and meaning if we're not careful. By the way, it's fine if food is a source of pleasure. Food is good. God gave us food to enjoy. The, 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 not the apples, the, well, the apples, but the strawberries that Wren's Farm produces are delicious. I'm plugging y'all, by the way. <laughs> that was free. They're delicious, and God, God, is, God has worked through them and, and, and helped them to be delicious strawberries. So, so God has given us this food to be able to enjoy But what if we eat all that we need and then continue to eat for the physical pleasure of it? It's good to find joy in a shared meal. But, and some love to prepare food and some love to, to have meals to be prepared for them. But what if we continue to do so and indulge just to find pleasure in that because we cannot or do not try to find pleasure in the Lord? That's where the problem comes in, living to eat rather than eating to live. So I want us to look at this and look at a, look at a few things from Scripture. First off, I want us to answer the question, how did Jesus handle food? How did Jesus handle food? 
Because this was a really interesting study if, if, if you look at it and look at how Jesus um, handled food, how, did, how he handled eating and, and drinking, um, because the Bible shows us that he ate and he drank quite freely. He was popular throughout a lot of his ministry, and he was in demand, by the way, to be guest at banquets. The wedding at Cana uh, is a good example in John chapter 2. Jesus, Jesus was, he was a desired guest at, uh, at, at events. And so, and, Je- and Jesus wanted to reach everyone. And so in his desire to reach them, he often uh, attended with them to uh, uh, these parties. He mingled, he ate, he, he drank enough that critics called him a glutton and a drunkard in Matthew eleven nineteen, He says that they said literally he was a glutton and a wine bibbler. And so it's safe to assume that Jesus and people saw him enjoying a good meal. And people saw him enjoying spending time around the table. He ate with the prosperous, but he also, by the way, he fed the hungry, and he gave them more than what they could, more than what they could even take home. In two instances, in Matthew chapter 14 and chapter 15, he fed, he fed bread and fish to 5,000. And there were enough, there were baskets and baskets of food left over. He gave an abundance of food. And then in, the, in Matthew 15, he fed 4,000 in the time of need. He gave an abundance of food. He enjoyed it, and he knew his people's need for food, but food was not an idol for him. The Bible tells us in Matthew chapter 4 that he fasted for 40 days and 40 nights. And it says after fasting for 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. You bet he was. 40 days and 40 nights of no eating? That is a supernatural fast. You and I could not survive 40 days without eating. Most of us in here would struggle to survive 40 minutes late past the mealtime. And I'm not saying, I'm not, I'm, not, I'm not throwing any stones. Like, you look at me and see. Like, I enjoy a good meal, by the way, myself. But the question then is, if Jesus enjoyed food and, 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 and provided food, why did he inaugurate his ministry by fasting? Why would it not be smarter for Jesus to get his strength by eating and by resting? And the scripture tells us he gathered his strength by fasting and resting. That's where he got his strength from, especially in the beginning. And it was quite interesting to see that Satan did not tempt Jesus during the 40-day 40, 40 fast. He tempted Jesus after the 40-day fast. Follow Matthew 4. After 40 days, he was hungry. And then, Jesus came, and then Satan came up and said, Here, make these stones become bread. You know how tempting that would be? The God of creation turning stones into bread, it would be the best bread you could ever have. And Jesus knew that, and Satan knew that. So Jesus handled food incredibly. It was not an idol for him. And then we can get to the question, well, then how did the apostles handle it? The apostles aren't Jesus. The apostles are Christians like you and me. How did they handle it? And so they understood, just as you and I should, that Jesus set a pattern when it comes to fasting and prayer. Acts tells us this in Acts chapter 13. Uh, before Paul and Barnabas went on, uh, went on their mission, 
um, to preach the risen Christ to the Gentiles. It says this, Acts 13. Then after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and sent them off. And then Paul and Barnabas did the very same thing in Acts chapter 14. When they had appointed elders for them in every church with prayer and fasting, they committed them to the Lord in whom they had believed. Now these elders, and, and, and I'll speak to this quickly when regarding Grandparents Day, these elders were not simply just seniors in the church. These elders, that word elder is another word for pastor. The Bible uses that word elder, pastor, overseer, bishop interchangeably. And so those words mean the same thing. When Peter says respect your elders, he's actually talking about respect your pastors. And um, so when the, when the Bible talks about elders, and it's a very biblical thing, by the way. Uh, I know we don't see it very much in Baptist churches very much anymore, but, uh, but I'll tell you that all Baptist churches before the 20th century had a plurality of elders. It wasn't until the 20th century that uh, a plurality of elders did not exist in a Baptist church. But I'll, I'll move on from there. That's a different sermon for a different day. But uh, they appointed these elders, and they fasted, and they prayed and committed them to the Lord. And so the question that comes for us, why fast? Why? Why should we do this? First of all, because Jesus fasted. Jesus fasted. That's not in the PowerPoint, by the way. Jesus fasted. Jesus told Satan, it's written, man shall not live by the bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. There was a saying in the city of Corinth, by the way, and Paul points it out in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, when, he, when, the, when the saying in Corinth said this, food for the stomach and stomach for food. Food for the stomach and stomach for food. Like indulge yourself whenever you want to. If the body has an appetite for food, then fulfill that appetite right, the, right away. The sooner, <coughs> excuse me, the better. The materialist, the, 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 as one who would come from, from, come from Corinth would say, if we have a drive, if we have a desire, if, and if we have a way to fulfill it, then you and I should. Self-denial is pointless, the materialist would say. It's absurd. So why fast? Another way is that to show that we're not animals. We're not slaves to an appetite. We're not slaves to our stomach. And even more than that, you and I fast to show that we have another hunger that exceeds our hunger, our hunger for food. Jesus assumes his disciples are going to fast, by the way. Look at verse 16 in Matthew chapter 6. What do the verses start out saying? And when you fast. Not if you fast. Not you may be fasting at some point. Jesus says when. It's a very important word there. So it's an active verb. It's a, it's a present verb. He says, when you fast. It's an expectation. And that's where it kind of steps on our toes because there are a lot of Christians, and I imagine there may be even some in here today who have been a Christian for years and, have said, and can probably say, Billy, I have never, never observed this. Why should we? I was reading from John Piper, and he has some really great things to say on this. First of all, he says, we fast to nourish our hunger for God and to reduce our hunger for the world. We fast to, hung, to nourish our hunger for God and to reduce our hunger for the world. 
When We ought to fast because our physical appetites are so intense that they threaten to overwhelm our hunger for God. That's why fasting is important. Piper, he goes on to say, uh, the greatest enemy of hunger for God is not poison, but apple pie. It's not the banquet of the wicked that dulls our appetite for heaven, but mindless nibbling at the table of the world. It's not the X-rated video, but the primetime dribble of triviality we drink in every, every night. He's talking about food. When Jesus tells us what keeps us from entering the kingdom, from joining him at his banquet table, he doesn't mention Satan. He mentions it's your own desires. It's our own desires. He doesn't mention Satan. In Luke 14, he mentions a plot of land, yoke of oxen, newly, a newly married wife, but he doesn't mention Satan. To quote Piper one more time. He says, our greatest adversary... To the love of God is not his enemies, but his gifts. And the most deadly appetites are for the simple pleasures of the earth. For when these replace an appetite for God himself, the idolatry is scarcely recognizable and almost incurable. He's saying this, rather than falling in love with God, we fall in love with God's gifts. Rather than worshiping God, we're worshiping gifts. Food is a gift from God. Absolutely. But how often do we live for the gifts of God? We fall in love with the benefits without falling in love with the Savior. Jesus explains why some hear the word of God, but don't respond to it. He said they fell among the thorns, Luke 8, 14. There are those who hear, but, they, but as they go on their way, they're choked by the cares and the riches and pleasures of this life, and their fruit does not mature. And then and he says in Mark chapter 4, verse 19, the desires for the other things enter in, and they choke the work, and it proves unfaithful. Jesus isn't saying that we shouldn't enjoy the blessings that, we, that he gives us. We should, and he blesses us for those reasons. But, and, and so the pleasures of, those, of this life and the, the, the blessings that he gives, they're not evil things. They're part of God's creation. Uh, they're grapes and blueberries and strawberries and guacamole and hummus, whatever you eat, whatever you enjoy, those are blessings. Football, soccer, silk, wool, comedy, drama, whether you like classical music or hip-hop or jazz, whatever according to your taste, those things aren't bad in and of themselves. But they end up getting perverted by sin. The problem starts when you and I begin to, to form the habit of satisfying desires soon after we fill them. You know, you're hungry? Why wait till supper? Just go ahead and grab a, just go ahead and get something. Grab a candy bar, grab an apple. Shop and go up the road is my is my uh, my kryptonite because it's so easy. It's so easy. And you're giggling because you're not because I'm not the only one. <laughs> But another practical manner, look at the end of the year, how much money you spend at a gas station on things other than gas. It'd be a, it's a scary sight to see. But we do that because 
It's convenient. And the problem even deepens when we declare ourselves content. And we've met every felt craving. And so when we declare ourselves content, we say, oh, this can fulfill my need. This can fulfill my desire. And then there was an opportunity that could have been focused on God and yet wasn't. So we fast because fasting says I don't live for my appetites. It says I set aside physical desire so that I can seek God in prayer, that I might seek God in his blessing. So when we fast, we battle this relentless stream of appetites, we, and, and we demonstrate that we don't live by bread alone. When, when we fast, by the way, our body does grow weak, and it reminds us that we don't live by our own strength, that we don't live by our own provision, we don't live by our own planning. And I'm not, I'm not going to stand up here and be, be holier than that. I do not excel at fasting. I get hungry. And I like to eat. Especially when I meet with people. I love when, we, when I'm meeting with folks. Like gathering around the table is one of my favorite things to do. It drives me nuts that some of my pastor's meetings, it happens not at a restaurant. <laughs> <clears throat> Y'all, I'm hungry. Nonetheless, fasting is good. And it reminds us that we don't prosper by eating, but by God's blessing. We fast. And when we do, we declare, Lord, you're my strength. Lord, you're the source of the strength that I have. So let me give you some practical things. How to fast. Number one. Fast regularly. Fast regularly. As I said earlier, Jesus assumes that his disciples are going to fast. He says, when you fast, in Matthew 6, verse 16. When you fast. He fasted. Jesus fasted. And he predicted that his disciples were going to fast after he left them. And it has its ups and downs as a discipline, by the way. It's, it's a struggle. The Puritans, by the way, they love corporate fast. But in, but in the, I would say, recent decades, probably of the last century, uh, corporate fast, that meant church-wide fasts. Um, they, fell in, they fell into neglect. Uh, there was one commentator that noted that not one Christian book was published on fasting from 1861 to 1954. Not one single book was published on it. Another one said, some have exalted religious fasting beyond all scripture and reason, and others have utterly disregarded it. Jesus says fast regularly. Now, I'll get into what that looks like in a little bit, because some of you are like, I have some health issues. That, that's a struggle, Billy. I can't just skip something. I can't just not do that. I can't just not eat. We'll get into that in a little bit. So, but, it, but whatever the fast looks like for you, and we'll get into that, it needs to be done and practiced regularly. Now, that schedule, what that means for you is... How often do you want to worship God? How often do you want to worship? How often do you want to worship him while not eating or while not observing that? Secondly, fast prayerfully. Fast prayerfully. Almost every time Scripture mentions fasting, it mentions it with prayer. It doesn't mention just simply skipping a meal and going, on, going about your business and keep on working. It means Stopping what you're doing and spend time with God. 
Almost every culture has some concept of fasting, by the way. A lot of, a lot of people fast to show sorrow. Matthew 6, 16, um, Jesus points out when you fast, don't look gloomy like the hypocrites. A lot of times people, a lot of times people fast and they want people to see that they are, that, that, that they are fasting. So they disfigure their faces, the, the verse says that they're fasting, uh, may be seen by others. Uh, they do this, and uh, uh, they do this to some of them do this to deprive them th- themselves, thinking that self-deprivation pleases their gods. And, uh, and and some fast for health to purge and recalibrate bodies, which can help and the, and that can be beneficial. But Christians, you and I fast to dedicate ourselves to God and to prayer. We, we don't praying all day is not what He's calling for. Um, he's not calling to forsake all of the regular activities, but we do need to pray as we fast. So so fast prayerfully. Thirdly, fast secretly. Fast secretly. People don't need to know when you're doing this. And it's hard because when you are doing this, you want to talk about it. Man, I ain't ate this morning. I'm so hungry. Uh, Oh, my goodness, this has been such a hard time. Um, And uh, uh, one of the the more famous uh, fasts that people uh, and churches get involved in is is a fast called the 40-hour famine. Have you all ever heard of the 40-hour famine? The 40-hour famine is a mission project. Um, and it's, uh, it's, you're taking, you're literally, you're spending 40 hours eating nothing but a handful of saltine crackers and maybe a bottle of water for 40 hours. It's hard. It's very difficult. And so when people get involved in doing this, when it starts getting down to crunch time, and not only while you're doing the, not only you're, you're not eating, you're, you're not eating very much, not drinking very much, you're also doing mission projects during that time. And so it's difficult. And so people want to get, when you get close, especially towards the end of the day, you start getting down close to the night, people start groaning and mumbling because they're hungry. And Jesus is saying, no, don't be, don't be, do do not be um, groaning and mumbling because you're taking away all the worship that that comes from fasting if you're just wanting people to see it. Praise from others can be addicted, by the way. It feels good when others recognize us and when others, when others uh, notice us. It's gratifying to be noticed by the accomplishments. Jesus said, when you fast, don't look gloomy by, like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces that their fasting may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face. It means wash your hair and wash your face, that your fasting may not be seen by others, but by your Father who is in secret. And your fathers who sees in secret will reward you. If you aim to be noticed and be praised by people, then you're probably going to succeed. But people of faith are going to notice and admire your discipline. And if you aim to be seen, even by people of faith, the, the Bible calls it pride and hypocrisy. And someone might ask, how, is it, how can it be hypocrisy for people to see what I'm doing or for people to know what I'm doing? What, and they may ask, what is wrong with letting your deed show? Uh, that, that's just honesty. But what the Bible is saying here is that this kind of public display, this outward, um, this outward uh, uh, billboard kind of display of fasting, he says that Jesus is saying that, that it poisons the well. He's saying that, uh, that, that when we fast or when we give money and when we seek credit for it, we do it to impress others and we're not doing it to worship God. We pretend to act for God, but we really act for ourselves and for our audience. Jesus is saying, do not act like the posers. 
Do not act like those who just feign love for a God when they really want love from people. It's not wrong to fast together corporately. The people of Israel did this. The apostles did this. As long as that essential motive is to seek God. Number four, fast humbly. Fast humbly. There is true religion, what the Bible calls it, and then there's proud religion. Legalism, which, which makes rules and imposes them on people for the glory of just exercising authority. It says things like, do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. It gives all these rules and all these regulations. And then there's another self-made religion that, uh, uh, that, 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 that looks at it like severe treatment to the body and uh, something's called self-abasement, which just means just putting yourself down and, and really just treating yourself very poorly. Colossians 2.23, these indeed have an appearance of wisdom in promoting self-made religion and asceticism and severity to the body, but they're of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. C.S. Lewis put it this way. Fasting asserts the will against the appetite, the reward being self-mastery and the, and the danger, pride. Ascetic practices, which is just almost starvation, uh, in themselves they strengthen the will. They're only useful insofar as they enable the will to put, us, put, put its own house in order as a preparation for offering the whole man to God. And so what the Bible is telling us is that fasting is a mean to an end. It's saying goodbye to the power that, that our possessions, food even, have over us that we may give ourselves to the lordship of God. Matthew Henry said it like this, fasting is the humbling of the soul. When we give these things up, at least even for just one mealtime, it's saying I am humbling myself before God. I am placing my appetite for, for God above the appetite for things of this world. So fast humbly, because it's not about you. It's not about me. Lastly, fast creatively. Fast creatively. And as I said earlier, I know that there are some in here who have, met, who have health issues, and you can't limp, simply just lay that aside, especially if you're diabetic. You can't, fa you can't just not eat for those reasons. But there are some other things that you and I can fast from. It may be television. It may be uh, you could fast from televised news for a week and devote that time to God that you would ordinarily be watching the news. A whole lot of Christians would be a whole lot better spiritually if they laid off Fox News for a week. <laughs> or CNN or MSNBC, all of them. I believe we'd see a revival. Let me answer a few questions, by the way. Should we drink water? Yes. How long should we fast? A typical one lasts about 24 hours. Long enough for you to feel it. Long enough for you to feel it, but also long enough for, for you to be able to see how God can provide the strength. How do, how do I plan it? Put it down on a schedule. Because if you don't put it down on a schedule, if you're like me, then it ends up getting pushed to the back burner. 
put it down on a schedule, saying this, this day I'm going to spend time with my Lord. What are, the, what are the goals and motives and rewards? When we fast, it leads us to ask this question. Do I love God? Do I hunger for him? Do I long for him? Or have I been just content with his gifts? For so many, even salvation is simply falling in love with the gift and not falling in love with the Savior. And we'll talk about that much more when Jesus gets to that in Matthew chapter 7. By the way, when we get into this, I can promise you that anger and bitterness are going to be an emotion that come out. Because when people get hungry, they get, they get mad. Isn't that called hangry? <clears throat> Fasting shows sorrow. It shows sorrow over sin. We fast to repent. We fast to mourn. We fast to deny ourselves. We fast to identify with the needy. Look at what Isaiah said. Is this not the fast that I choose, the Lord said, to loose the bonds of wickedness, to undo the straps of the yoke, to let the oppressed go free and to break every yoke? Is it not to share your bread with the hungry and bring the homeless poor into your house when, when you see the naked to cover him and not to hide yourself from your own flesh? What counts in what Isaiah says is humility and repentance and kindness to those who do not have what we have. Jesus said, don't let people see you do this. Verse 18, Matthew 6. That your fasting may not be seen by others, but by your Father who is in heaven, who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. And it's important, and it's easily misunderstood, and I'm, I'm almost finished. Jesus doesn't say that fasting earns a reward from God. He said, rather, God grants a reward. If you were not fasted just to receive a reward, it would just become a business investment. We sacrifice it. We sacrifice for God, and he gives back with interest. At worst, it's, it's manipulation. At best, it pollutes an act of devotion with a selfish desire. It's not a spiritual discipline that we just present to God so that he can, just so that he can reward us. The reward that you and I, when we, when we do fast, is the reward is that, we re, that we've received more of God himself. And when we do so properly, we love him more. We, and we love the world less. And by doing so, we learn to seek first the kingdom of God. We skip those times. And you know what's really great as part of that reward that is coming on the last day? It's a heavenly feast. A heavenly feast. Now, before he died, Jesus promised his disciples that he was going to eat with them again. 
And that meal that, that comes at the end of time is called the wedding feast. And in heaven, there's going to be an incredible feast. There's going to be no, no more hunger. There's, not going to be no more, there's going to be no more cravings that we, that we battle. There's going to be feasting in the presence of Christ. And then our strongest hunger is going to be satisfied by the Lord himself. And, and, and so then, Baptist, Christian, it fast from time to time. As the Lord leads you to do, take time to pray about an important matter. Remind yourself uh, that, that God is your strength. Teach yourself to long for God and to long for uh, and to long for what He gives. Teach, your, teach yourself to long for the feast that's prepared in heaven. It's not easy. As this isn't an easy topic to talk about. It's not the most... Uh, enjoyable to hear either. I mean, preacher, i got to skip something. The idea is that you're not, you're not skipping anything. You're just getting more of something more important.